No ties. No ties. <laughs> I think a tie against the Jets is the equivalent to a loss. I think the Titans should have been awarded a loss for tying with the Jets anyway. So. shop for news views and overreactions to all things nfl it's got another week in the books it's been an interesting one and we're all going to take a few days to chill out in a pub and get danced on by some random stranger so hey we got connor here we've got ronan hello and we got sean hello how are we getting on guys how's tricks uh, not too bad it's been a, a week of being around the place went home to Athlone for various nieces celebrating various things it was like a five-in-one birthday slash christening party very exciting Um, first major social event since the whole covid thing happened so kind of the first sign that life is getting back to normal nature is healing sean nature is healing (laughs) you're attending i was up in galway had a good time yeah just a good weekend overall and this weekend there's a work gig going on so getting back into socializing too Fun. Yeah, I had a Dungeons and Dragons game on Saturday with a few of the ones. Harry, who's on the podcast occasionally, a few others, you know, mostly just yeah, getting stuff lined up for the house. So I bought mattresses, went in and I met Mattress Mick. He's a fine man, gave us a good deal on mattresses and thankfully ones that won't take 17 weeks to arrive. So we got our beds ordered and stuff and I felt very grown up. I ordered a shed today. That is very grown up. That is a very, that's a thing that you can't do until you are proper grown up. Yeah, to have a house to put it in. Yeah. Two, two, two or three weeks ago, like my most grown up, I was like, "Oh, I now actually own a Hoover because it's always just been Hoover's in rented accommodation." So now I've got a a green Henry. But yeah, no, mostly just getting stuff lined up for that because we're hopefully all going to plan getting the uh, keys on Friday. Then the real work starts because we have to both get the thing ready to live in and then move across into it in the next two or three weeks. And in the middle of it, we're all going to take the. Uh, AFQ trip to London, which will be uh, which will be good fun. I suppose we'll fly into the news of too long. So uh, some transaction news. Uh, Tampa Bay have decided that they also want to bring back, you know, Prime from 2015. Richard Sherman's going to join their cornerback crew who are already quite shallow. And Chicago have traded a 2023 six-round pick for Jakeem Grant from Miami. The Sherman pick up, it seems to make a lot of sense. They're missing three or four players out of that defensive backfield already. It's a very... It's the one major weakness on their defense. I'm not sure Sherman, he's not the player he was, but he's better than who they were probably starting there, correct? Yeah, they're pretty decimated with injury and they really didn't have a choice. And he slotted in pretty well on Sunday night, even though he had only whatever, like two prep days. It wasn't that the Patriots certainly weren't targeting him, knowing Belichick they would have done. So I, I mean, yeah, he's, he's old and old cornerbacks, they lose a lot of their dynamism and athleticism, but he's still, he's still adequate for what they have. Um, especially given that they don't have anyone else really healthy at the moment. They lost Carlton Davis in the Sunday night football game, so I think mm-hmm. Sherman will continue to get snaps. I think like they promoted like Pierre Desir off their practice squad, another kind of like journeyman. Yeah, I remember him. So it's just a situation where is this ideal? Certainly not. They had like they have young corners that they obviously want to continue to develop and who have you know I played their draft status. But if you're talking about someone you're bringing in literally off the street. In the, you know, a few weeks into the season, I think Richard Sherman is a pretty good cornerback for that kind of situation. And I think yeah. against New England, he wasn't really challenged deep, which is probably where he's uh, had some of his most unfortunate moments in the last couple of years as he's aged. 
Controversy Corner, a video has gone viral of Jacksonville head coach Urban Meyer uh, getting all danced up on in a pub slash club. It looks more like a pub to me, but, you know, I don't know what the <laughs> what the nightclubs look like there. I met with family after Thursday night football rather than returning back with the team. Uh, there's a lot of reports of players and ownership being very unhappy. This started out as just kind of a funny story about like, oh, look who just got caught out being kind of a dirtbird. And then it turns out that now this might be an indication of something wider with very unhappy management. You play a reasonably good game on Thursday Night Football, lose, and rather than travel back, build on it and work on anything, you decide to just go out, let the team go home separately. It's not a good look and it does kind of speak to the to the rumours that have been swirling of greater and greater distance between him and the management and the players. It seems like the players are pissed off. Like, they obviously, I suppose if he'd just gone for, like, a quiet dinner with family members, that would have been one thing. But he decided whether, you know, true to other people were saying, you know, let's go out to a pub or a club or whatever. And then this video comes up where he's basically getting grounded on by a young woman uh, while on a stool and having his hands. Like, you know, you could interpret either way. His hands are, you know, in a place where maybe he's, you know, trying to be very protective of himself or perhaps he's been very unprotective of himself. <laughs> but uh, regardless, it's oh. just, it's not a very good look. Like, Bill Belichick isn't going to be in a club during the season having women grinding on him. That's not going to happen to Harbaugh. You don't know Bill Belichick. He, you know, like, <laughs> the, you know, the stereotype of the winning coaches in the NFL is of people who during the season do nothing but football. They are in the team facilities at any moment that they have free available and Urban Meyer's here after a tough loss you know hanging out in the club and that's just not something that you can get away with at the NFL level in terms of perception given the issues he had with hiring his strength conditioning coach and him being perhaps uh, racist and stuff like that given his own past given all the things around him and that the players have been unhappy with some of the stuff he did during the preseason he has a lot of ground to make up to sell himself to the wider public to sell himself to his players to sell himself to ownership and this is just the move of someone who doesn't seem to realize that he is already on the hot seat. And, you know, I think the reports coming out right now is that he's not going to get fired, but that they have started thinking about who would replace him if they do have to do this in season. So, yeah, not a great start for his uh, tenure in Jacksonville and maybe just a situation where this guy's way out of his depth at the NFL level. Yeah, I just think it's a matter of time before he gets he gets shit-canned, to be honest with you. Not just all this external stuff, but the team is pretty terrible. I mean, I haven't watched them very often, but I did watch them this week and it's just... There's just nothing in that team that would suggest that they're going anywhere. And if you've got that problem and you've got this rookie quarterback who's exciting but isn't producing and, you know, you're not showing signs of progress and then you do this kind of stuff as well, it just it's just a really bad... It's like you said, he just doesn't seem to understand what the role expects because he's used to the, the college being the untouchable college coach who could do whatever he wanted. And we, we talked about all the stories in, in the offseason about all the various things that he's been attached to and that the bullying culture that he had when he was a college coach. So it just sounds like someone who believes he's untouchable when in reality he's the coach of the worst team in the NFL and could very easily be fired as as soon as, basically as soon as the ownership finds someone to replace him, I think he'll be the way out because it, mm-hmm. it obviously looks already that he's not the answer for this franchise. Crime and punishment, one of the up to probably felonies. Gerald McCoy has been suspended for six games for banned substance policy. We're presuming it's PED, but, you know, it could be recreational, but it's presumably PEDs at his age. Yeah, and he, he may should have been basically saying, oh, something went wrong, 
you know, I trusted people that I shouldn't have. Yeah, the standard. Yeah. A couple of injuries around the league. Uh, San Francisco quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo's injured his calf his week to week and Trent Williams, their offensive tackle, is day-to-day with a shoulder injury. Denver quarterback Teddy Bridgewater concussion and he's week to week. Chicago's running back Dave Montgomery after having a really nice game or two he's done his knee and he's out for one or four, one to four weeks. Joe Mixon has injured his ankle. It's officially week to week but they have came out and made a statement and say it's day-to-day and would expect him to hopefully be playing. Um, Washington have injured uh, Brandon Scherf, their guard, MC has gone to one for four weeks tight end Logan Thomas hamstring one to four weeks and John Bostic the linebacker pectoral injury likely gone for the season obviously the quarterbacks are big names on this Jimmy Garoppolo was already facing pressure from uh, the rookie behind him Denver Teddy has actually been playing pretty well for them and I don't think there was much of a controversy with Drew Locke as the booing of the fans would suggest but those are two ones where I think Denver are almost certainly particularly from what we saw a step down without Bridgewater. What did we think of what we saw in the San Francisco game after Garoppolo went out? The, the situation there was Garoppolo wasn't great in the first half anyway, so it's not like uh, the the young the young guy was in a lot of trouble. You know, he was very mixed. Land like he kind of had a situation where he had some really good plays, and you could definitely tell that his dual threat opportunities like stressed the defense, the Seahawks defense, and the, there's a certain degree of uncertainty. And the touchdown that he had, which was basically where uh, Debo Samuel had like a million acres of space to run into. It probably gives you an idea of that. But in terms of just the basic making the throws, accurate throws over the middle, he wasn't great. Very mixed there. I think you're seeing a dual threat quarterback, but who has suspect accuracy and mechanics. And it'll be really interesting to see that if Garoppolo misses time, um, because initially uh, he was kind of saying himself, I'm going to miss some time. Then later on, Shanahan basically said, oh, he mightn't anyway. Uh, (laughs) But if he does miss time, uh, I expect Trey Lance will be very up and down, but I can trust that Shanahan can probably create a system that plays to his strength and especially take advantage of the run game where I think his you know, dual threat uh, attitude will actually make them uh, much more difficult to defend. Yeah, Chicago's recent kind of push of form has come a lot off that running game and Cincinnati as well, who've, who've been playing pretty well. They're quite dependent on the running game. For Chicago, this means they are going to have to be going to the backup. For Cincinnati, they're hoping that they'll have mixing in. And for Washington, look, that's just a lot of pieces that are missing off a team that's already missing several important pieces. Which one of those do you think will have the biggest impact, Sean? I think Montgomery's loss, the, the loss of Montgomery for the Bears is a very big loss. They, they don't have much of an offense and certainly Montgomery was playing at a very high level and he was he was the star of that team in, in the early weeks so if it's one week fine if it's four weeks I mean that season that's season derailed very quickly they've somehow managed to get to two and two and you know be competitive even though they're not all that talented as a team but he was he was the reason that they were getting wins instead of losses uh, and they're going to struggle without him otherwise I mean the other thing I the other one to, to highlight I suppose is Joe Mixon even though Again, there's a bit more variety in the Bengals this year. They've got a good pass game going. Burrow and Chase have got a good connection on the passing side. So that'll hurt a little bit less. But obviously, he's quite an important running back as well. But of the two of those two running backs, definitely it's Montgomery for the Bears that is going to hurt an awful lot for that team. We've also had Green Bay cornerback Jair Alexander as a shoulder injury. We don't have the exact details yet, but it's expected to be quite serious, possibly a season injury. And Detroit's Ed Rusher, Romeo Aquara, has injured his Achilles and he's going to be out for the season. Uh, other bits of news around the league, Jason McCoy has decided to retire after 12 seasons, taking a one-day contract with the Eagles. He has uh, over 15,000 yards, 89 touchdowns, two All-Pros, six Pro Bowls, two Super Bowl rings for some total of zero <laughs> played Super Bowl snaps, if I remember correctly. Probably probably into the Hall of Fame, I'd imagine. 
overall like a good a good career when he was at the eagles was his peak years and he was quite an effective part um of that team for a while i mean the the subsequent years at, at buffalo and kansas city and tampa bay as well i mean he kind of dropped off the radar a, a bit i mean he hadn't been for the last three four years of his seed career he wasn't good but at his peak time mm. for that eagles eagles team kind of at the the kind of early early 2010s he was definitely talented but this is this is the running back thing right running backs just don't last that long anymore and if you can have three or four productive seasons that is a great running back career and probably is enough to get uh, into the hall of fame um these days unlike other positions where you might need a longer stretch of time to, to kind of qualify for that yeah and we got the uh the super bowl halftime show was announced and it's uh it's the best one in quite a while at this point Eminem, Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, Mary J. Bige, and Kendrick Lamar. Obviously tying into it being in LA. I believe there's some kind of cross-promotional stuff between them and a, I think it's a creative arts school that they are running in the area that they might be doing some kind of advertising cross with the NFL on as well. But uh should make for a far more entertaining show than I'd say at least the last two or three Super Bowls anyway. This is probably basically the culmination of the attempts the NFL has been making via commercial contracts and the big amount of money has to kind of have relationships with Dre in particular and some of his companies after the whole Colin Kaepernick thing kind of uh, blew up in the face of the NFL and its relationship with the uh, African-American community and business community as well, using its resources to try and get back on side and be seen more of a progressive force. And, you know, I don't know if that that side of things is, you know... uh, authentic or not but uh you know money money does talk and uh you know the nfl has made efforts to be have removed a lot of the say questionable political and stuff like that would have been there previously and kind of clean up that whole act and we'll also just get some good tunes which is uh you yes. know <laughs> thankfully it's not maroon it's a nice change yeah. but yeah on that fantastic note we will uh, move on to look at the games from last week so first up, we have Tampa Bay at New England, 19-17. to 17. This was the one that obviously dominated most of the headlines going into the week. Tom Brady returning to take on his old mentor, Bill Belichick. Tampa Bay won in a very tense, kind of rainy showdown uh, that was coming down to field goals and stuff like that. Brady, he was only about 50% completion percentage, 269 yards, and didn't throw a touchdown. Although I believe there was one that was, at least one, that was definitely a drop by Brown, and I think there was two, really, that I'd be putting Mm -hmm. on Brown. New England got a good bit of pressure, but the run game was solid. It was fine. New England avoided Tampa Bay's run defense and had eight rushes in total, and Mac Jones looked fine. Like 275, two touchdowns and an interception, particularly in the weather, I suppose it's good for a rookie. But this is a Tampa Bay team, as we mentioned, that, like, you know, they were starting guys who they signed during the week at cornerback. And you've got to be thinking, there's a number of points in this game script where you got to be thinking, I have to let this quarterback attack them further downfield. Like, we have to put this on him to win. And they just didn't seem to want to be putting that putting that on him. They didn't seem to trust him in that spot. And if you can't trust him in that spot against what's probably at the moment like the 28th, maybe at best, defensive backs against the pass, like where can you trust him? But Tampa Bay get the win, not overly impressive. I would be worried given the game script that New England ran here, what their actual opinion of Mac Jones is. I think that's a little harsh. I mean, I have to say I'm not the biggest Mac Jones fan or certainly I didn't come into the season as the the most hopeful of Mac Jones fans, but I can see that there's a process here, right? That it's quite conservative. And I ha- I have kind of spoken out about what I thought was an overly conservative approach, but the more we watch other rookie quarterbacks, the, the Trevor Lawrence's, the Zach Wilson's, 
um, and who have you have disastrous interception laden games, the more this kind of conservative, just do what you know you can do, manage the game and maybe slowly work your way up to the more, you know, fancy long throws or, or moving around. I think Balachik knows he's in it for the long haul. I think he, he's willing to accept maybe even a four or five win season if it's what it takes to develop him. And you can see promising signs in Mac Jones. You can see a maturity that you don't necessarily see in, in the other rookie quarterbacks. You can see his game reading is improving. The, the offensive line struggled quite a bit against Tampa Bay's front seven, as everybody does. And yet he was able to, on occasion, you know, make moves out of the pocket and make, uh, albeit short throws, but but he was playing like an NFL quarterback, which is not something you can say about um, all the rest of them. So I, I wouldn't judge it too much. I mean, it's a very odd position for a Pats fan to be in because this was a game where, on, on the one hand, you know, they weren't really expected to be competitive. And on the other hand, in the game, they really were competitive and indeed could have won it had they... I mean, there's some disagreement about going for the, the long field goal, which... You know, Nick Folk just does not make those field goals anymore. Particularly um, that they didn't go for it on a shorter field goal earlier in the game. There was perhaps at the end there, there's maybe a call that, that Belichick should have trusted Mac Jones right at the end to push on it for just, you know, another 10, 15 yards before trying to do that, or even to try and eat up the clock so that Brady, even if they'd made the field goal, Brady would have had 50-odd seconds to yeah. go back and, 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 and go down the field. So, I mean, I would say... There is, it's not 100% perfect the way Belichick is treating Mac Jones, but I do understand it. There is a lot of improvements on the other side of the ball, though, but the defensive scheming in this was, was really kind of, kind of old school Belichick. He was, he was creating havoc for Brady, I thought. Multiple looks, lots of movement, basically trying to keep him guessing and thinking and trying to essentially wear him out in terms of having to constantly be assessing the field and thinking and making decisions on the fly and nothing was going to be easy. And the players really stepped up as well. Judon was particularly good. Wise and Barmore also had, had good games. So the defense is going somewhere quite interesting for the Pats. And I think they will probably carry this team for the rest of the season while the Mac Jones thing um, is developing. On the Tampa Bay side, I mean, it's interesting. Brady definitely not at his peak. And it's, it's what do we blame here? Do we blame the weather to a certain extent? Yes. Do we blame the defensive scheming? Quite possibly. It was also nerves. You know, this was a big game. Even for someone who's played in nine Super Bowls, it's got to be a very weird emotional experience to be going back to a place you played for 20 years. And, and to have the fans boo you on the, on the first snap, I think, might have been a bit unnerving. And eventually Tampa Bay won it on the ground. I mean, they just allowed Leonard Fournette to establish a, a run game, which then kind of expanded their offense at the end and got them enough points over the board. So I'm not, I mean, the books were not convincing. I mean, the Pats are not the best team in the NFL at the moment, and the books did not beat them as heavily as they should have. And a lot of that comes down to the fact that they just didn't perform at the level required. So you come out of this being, as a Pats fan, a little bit more optimistic about what the season can be Maybe they now understand what kind of team they have and what their identity is in inverted commas and can move from there. For the Bucks, I mean, this is two games in a row where they haven't really shown, you know, the form of last year. And you'd wonder if they're going to be going back into their early season slump that they had last season or if the lack of depth, especially, say, at the secondary level is going to hurt them. Yeah, it was really just a weird game and Sean's kind of covered most of what's there. And, like, for Tampa Bay, the fact that the run game got going after, for the first, like, like last week, they basically didn't use the run game at all, I think it's really important for them, even if the overall offensive output wasn't great. But I, I think the conditions, the weirdness, all of the different situations going on, and obviously Belichick's familiarity with Brady, I'm willing to give them a pass on this, and let's see what they do going forward. And for New England, like, look, I, I, you know, I, like I said, Mac Jones last week has backup talent. 
I still believe that because when you look at the dynamic playmakers in the NFL now, someone who plays kind of like an old school West Coast type of quarterback with limited arm, limited mobility, I don't know how much that can survive unless he turns into Tom Brady. You know, maybe he can do that, but, you know, it's just such a huge negative, a huge handicap compared to teams that have the, the Patrick Mahomes, the Kyler Murrays, the, the Justin Herbert. So, look, uh, I think they'll obviously maximise what they have in Mac Jones and it'll probably get them to a solid number of wins. But if you're looking to be to the Bills or to be get back to the AFC's top table, I'm still not sure Mac Jones is the uh, solution. Next up, Tennessee at the Jets, 24-27 to in overtime. A missed 49-yard Andy Bullock field goal gives New York Jets the win after an incredibly tense game. It was 9-10 to going into the fourth quarter and then just went a little bit crazy. Wilson, after, let's be honest, a fairly shaky first half, had a very good second half. 297 yards total, two touchdowns and interception and had a couple of very, very nice plays, just absolute ropes being thrown, which were, uh, which were great. But to be fair, he was being helped out because he was coming up against the Tennessee defense. Henry had a great day. 33 rushes for 157 yards and a touchdown leading the the, the the league in rushing I believe this week but still not enough for them to be able to seal a game which is not great given what the what the current Titans plan of attack seems to be although in this game they were missing both of their top two wide receiving options so maybe that was going to impact a surprise element for this was how effective the Jets defense were they had was it seven sacks they had Something like, was it seven or six or seven separate players having like more than four pressures apiece on the quarterback? He was just constantly, constantly hounded, which for a team that one of the biggest criticisms we had were they didn't have depth on defense and the depth that they had got injured before the season started. They did surprisingly well in this. Now that said, it did take a lot of mistakes on the part of the Tennessee Titans for the Jets to be able to get here. It did take a missed field goal. Otherwise, it would have been a tie, which kind of felt fair for a game that was overall good individual elements, but nothing comprehensively coming together would be like, oh, this team has turned a corner. And for Tennessee, maybe actually felt the opposite. This was a, a weird game. There's definitely an alternative version of this game where it's well down to the dump off and Tennessee went up like 21 points up early and then the Jets had another fallout and Zach Wilson threw 20 picks. Basically, this game script that we've seen for the Jets. But the def- like to be fair to the Jets' defense, they fronted up really well in the first half. The Tennessee Titans got into the red zone three times. They took away three field goals. Um, you can't really get any better than that. To be fair, one of those because a really a botched snap after the uh, center went out uh, with an injury, but the other two were genuine defensive shutdowns and fair play to the Jets for keeping it close all the way up into the fourth quarter where both teams just kind of seemed to go back and forth a bit crazy. I'm not, I'm not really sure what happened, but like Zach Wilson seemed to really grow into the game and I think like the highlight was his, uh, was his touchdown to Corey Davis where he basically saw that the safety was coming down. Then he basically told Corey Davis, go deep, go deep, like literally the kind of uh, backyard football type stuff and he threw a peach of a ball to be fair outside the pocket. Um, so I think that's all, that's, that's what people when they drafted Zach Wilson, that's what they were hoping to get, a dynamic playmaker who makes explosive plays down the field. And if he's put in a situation where they're not 20 points behind and the team knows that they can just defend the pass and you know, you're not playing catch-up, then hopefully this is the kind of game script that he can thrive and, and show some of the skill that we expect that he has. For Tennessee, Like, yeah, they were missing A.J. Brown, they're missing Julio Jones. That was obviously going to have a major issue with them because then they end up relying on like Jerry McNichols to pick up the, the slack. And that's not really a great situation when your backup running back is, is like your leading receiver. But And you have Chester Rogers and Josh Reynolds like filling in the gaps. It's just not an ideal situation. And Tannehill, you know, especially in those red zone situations, 
I know it's tough, but he needs to be better. Like, this is a guy coming into the season that we thought had turned the corner, and really this season he's been mostly disappointing. And when you have your running back over, oh, like, nearly 160 yards, and he gets the ball 33 times, you know, you're being put in the best position you can as a quarterback, and if you can't take advantage, then some of that has to fall on you. But I think for, for Mike Vrabel and the Tennessee Titans, the biggest issue is that their defense still kind of stinks. Like, they made the Jets look bad for a half, but, like, everyone's made the Jets look bad for a half. The fact that they let the Jets look good at all is just a major worry because, you know, the Jets have just looked so bad against everyone. And you have to worry, wonder that, you know, Vrabel, he's been there for several years. The defenses have stunk for so long. Is he ever actually going to get that unit sorted out and actually build something that's actually wor- you know, worthy of a championship contender? And right now, it doesn't really feel like... They have a lot of... like To be fair to the Titans, they have a, a lot of wiggle room because they're in the AFC South. Definitely a worrying loss for them, but it's good, you know, for the Jets, I feel good for them to get a win like this. And yeah, a tie is probably that would have been the fair result. But, you know, <laughs> the Jets deserve some some love. Those fans deserve something like that. No ties. No ties. <laughs> I think a tie against the Jets is the equivalent to a loss. I think the Titans should have been awarded a loss for tying with the Jets anyway. So, yeah. But, but yeah, no, I mean... a tie, then like it would be kind of fun because then we could have an 8-8 eight, eight and 1 team. Like We're still waiting on that possibility. Yeah, true, true. I mean, it's not going to be the Jets, but it might be the Titans. <laughs> I think it's um, going on a real hot streak in the back half. Yeah, they're limited but willing, but they are quite limited. And yeah, I mean, Zach Wilson got into it. I mean, the directing traffic for the long bomb TD is definitely a sign of a player kind of getting more confident and, and getting into his, his role on the team a little bit. And the defense did do a kind of a good stops in, in bad field positions, but the Jets are not good and... No matter how good their coaching is, they're, they're going to struggle to, to win too many games. I mean, I think the big story out of coming out of this game is the Titans. This is a pretty terrible start to the season that was supposed to be. I mean, people were talking about them being Super Bowl contenders, and now they look like they will struggle to win a pretty terrible division. I mean, they probably still will win the terrible division because all they really have to do is stay ahead of the Colts, and the Colts themselves may not even get to much above eight or nine wins. And the Titans surely can manage that, especially with four games against the Texans and the Jags. It's odd with the Titans. Obviously, their defense is terrible and it's always been terrible and it's not looking like it's going to improve ever. But it's the offense was a bit of all over the place today. The offensive line was being hammered. They didn't really know what to do. Obviously, their game is set up to exploit the fact that Henry's such a threat that it opens up the passing game. But without the long bombs to, to Brown and Jones, they really just didn't know what to do with the passing game. There was opened up a lot of short passes for and I don't really understand what they were trying to do. They just they either should have leaned on Henry completely and just gave him the ball ninety five percent of the time, or they should have <laughs> tried to figure out a way to extend their passing game because this middle ground that they ended up in was just a, a terrible position. And yeah, I'd agree that the question marks are over Vrabel now. Can he turn this quite talented team into a strong contender, or are we beginning to see the the beginning of the end of that era and perhaps a need to to change head co- head coaches somewhere down the line? Cleveland Minnesota 14 to 7. Uh, Kirk Cousins 200 yards and an interception and a touchdown. Comes up very short in the final drive while the Cleveland defense essentially wins this for them. Cleveland were able to get their running game going pretty much everywhere they wanted for about 90 to 95 yards of the pitch and then just could not for the life of them figure out how they were meant to run the ball when they were down at the goal line. Uh, Minnesota's offense was struggling all over the shop. Like it just didn't look great. They had a couple of nice one-off plays, but there was seemed to be no kind of cohesive idea of what they were doing. Now, whether that is a reflection of Cleveland's defense, which didn't appear to be playing exceptionally well, working good. Big takeaway for me in this, because look, I, I always assume Cousins is going to be shit. One, 
the cook injury is going to be a nightmare for them if this is a recurring thing is going to impact what they can actually do because that offense for Minnesota goes as far as Cook can take them. But B, for the Browns, their defense looks better, much better than I thought it would. Their offense struggled mightily. Baker was below 50% completion. He had 150 yards. He was missing people on short routes, medium routes, long routes, ins, outs, hooks, deeps. Like, just nothing was working for him at all. And he missed multiple wide-open players. So... Hopefully it's just he's gotten in his head about something and he can turn it around quickly for next week because it wasn't that this Minnesota defense was causing huge issues. He was missing wide open throws. So good squeaky bum time win for the Cleveland Browns. Ah, Look, Minnesota probably should have been able to to close this out, but it's telling that they couldn't. If I'm the Browns, I'm starting to get worried because their defense looks championship level and their offense looks shite. I thought we'd gotten past the will good Baker or bad Baker turn up this week, we thought we'd gotten good Baker consistently enough that we, he could be reliable. But this was a very poor game on his part. And it, it wasn't just the reads. It was also the mechanics of his throwing seemed a bit off. There were a lot of very wobbly throws, which is not a, not a good sign whatsoever. There was even one that was so wobbly that the commentators were at wondering whether it was tipped at the line of scrimmage. And it hadn't been. It was just a really, <laughs> really terrible throw. So that is worrying, obviously, for a team that is quite competitive on the run game. It's, it's got a very good defense defense that pressured the Vikings offense completely off the field that they're missing that they could be missing that one star quality and and Baker's got to get back to his his late season early playoffs of last season where he was mature making good decisions being brave when he needed to be doing all the things he was supposed to do and then letting the rest of of the the kind of the game work out he's got to maybe write it off as a bad game and move on but you don't want to see too many more of these especially since I mean that the the Browns are in a fight for their division they're in a tough conference where you know you're not necessarily going to make the playoffs if you win 10 games so I mean they've got to improve certainly from where they are if they want to if they want to live up to the hype the preseason hype Mm -hmm. that's been coming for them for the Vikings yeah I mean it was the first drive was great it looked like everything was clicking people were talking about Cousins's statistically fantastic start to the season and then it just stopped they just stopped working Dalvin Cook coming I mean he's kind of on and off the field in various situations and they just they just don't they look lost without him and and yeah I mean I'm not a Vikings fan in any stretch of the imagination this team bores the living shit out of me but this was a sign of just like they are they are an eight and eight and one team they just haven't realized it yet yeah, I just there's not much more to say about them other than that this was this was a, a game that they probably should have won because of how poorly the Cleveland passing game was going, but they yeah. just couldn't score more than seven points, and that's ultimately what cost them in the end. The inability to score points quite an important part of winning games mm. in the NFL. And for the for the Browns fans out there, this is obviously a great indication that you will indeed have a winning season as Minnesota were unable to beat you. <laughs> uh, Jacksonville at Cincinnati, 21-24. This is Thursday Night Football and this was an exciting one. Burrow and the Bengals went down 14 to nothing, and then decided to turn it on at 348 yards, two touchdowns, and came back in the second half to set up McPherson for a walk-off field goal. Boyd went over 100. The big surprise, the tight end, uh, Ozamoa, 95 and two touchdowns. And uh, Chase... Did pretty good as well, 77 yards in the second half. Lawrence actually looked surprisingly better in this game. And the Jags overall looked better in this game than they have in any game so far this year. He was 242 and a touchdown. 
fairly clean but relatively inconsistent. The run game did a lot of work for them with Robinson getting 78 yards and two touchdowns. And Visca Chenault kind of came out a bit again. Like I said, look, there was a couple of questionable decisions made from the Jacksonville Jaguars side, particularly like you know, if you've got a if you've got a good run game going with Robinson, how you can't kind of you know at least do a little bit more to sit on a fourteen point lead does does, does come to mind as a question. But look, Cincinnati once they got going were great. It's a bit worrying that they started so slow out of the blocks, particularly at home against a Jacksonville team that you know are are, are not any great shakes really. But in the second half, they did look very exciting. I'm surprised their defense looked so ill-prepared for Jacksonville in the first half. They handled them very well in the second half, but yeah, like it kind of probably shows the youth and the need still for growth on their side of the ball. Uh, For Jacksonville, promising, definitely looks better than they have in most of the other games up till now. We're competitive up towards the end in it, but it was definitely, again, one where I think they just kind of got a jump on them rather than actually were any in any way consistently a better team. For Jacksonville, they at least did what you're supposed to do if you have a quarterback who's struggling, particularly a rookie quarterback. You run the ball effectively, you have a lot of bubble screens, short passes, things that make the quarterback's lives easy, get some easy completions, and if that leads to points and leads to a lead, all the better. And it's kind of ridiculous because, like, you know, James Robinson had over a 1,000 yards, I think, 14 games last year on what was the worst team in the NFL, and yet this year, obviously they drafted Travis Henry, who got injured in preseason, but this year, Urban Meyer, for the first couple of weeks, seemed to be like, no, Carlos Hyde, I had him in college, he's still good, and, you know, it's taken a few weeks for Urban Meyer to realise, actually, maybe I should use a guy who has shown production, who has been effective, even in the toughest situations, and maybe I should use this guy. It's taken him a few weeks, you know, it's taken him four weeks to finally get LaVisca Chenault involved, as a kind of Joker-type moving offensive piece, someone you can just get the ball into his hands, and he can do things for you, rather than having Trevor Lawrence have to do all the work himself. Uh, and maybe, the, you know, a lot of that comes down to maybe injuries. Um, Carlos Hyde was finally left inactive. Uh, DJ Chark goes out and you kind of change the game plan a bit and you're a bit more effective. And But, like, the question for me is, like, why weren't you doing this from the start? It just seems like Urban Meyer, he gets way too cute and he's obviously, you know, not making the best decisions on the field, off the field, anywhere. But hopefully he'll uh, learn his lesson or he will get shit-canned for various reasons. But for, like, Cincinnati, like, look, they were at home. You're 14-0 oh, and down. And then just coming up the up to half time, they, they were on their own goal line and they shut down Jacksonville on a four-down stop. That got the fans back involved. Like, the fans were kind of going, oh, no, this is the Bengals screwing up again, doing nothing. Burrow was basically, they did nothing for most of the first half. Like, like the missed field goal was the closest to getting the points. And so it's a situation where that was an important swing, that they come out, they get a touchdown, and then from that point on, it always felt like the Bengals were going to assert their control of this game. To a certain extent, Jacksonville definitely were playing a little bit scared in the second half. They were very much like, oh, keep running the ball keep uh, grinding the clock keep doing the old school type of thing where you know if you're better you're trying to just kind of kind of win like by skin of your teeth but i think you saw the difference that in cincinnati right now maybe not because of the head coach uh, but certainly because of their quarterback they are not afraid this season and so you have a situation where you just have the difference between two teams like jacksonville right now are such a bad team that it probably did make sense to run this conservative game plan 
But Cincinnati right now are basically on the opposite side of the spectrum where um, to play into what they need to do uh, with, with the personnel they have, they need to be an exciting team. They need to air it out. They need to kind of do what they do. You know, to a certain extent, you know, with Joe Mixon out, it'll be interesting to see how they adjust to that, whether they, if they just give Piran a bunch of carries or whether they decide to go more spread, give Burrow more of the responsibility. Because I think week on week on week, you see Burrow improve. You see him regaining his confidence. And if you're a Cincinnati fan or just someone like yourself, Connor, who keeps a running interest in them, I think that should be really exciting to see if they can make that work. And, and you know, the defense was fine again. So, uh, you know, mm. Cincinnati better than expected and uh, right up there with the uh, their opposition in the AFC North. Arizona at LA Ram, 37-20. The battle of the all-hype team. So uh, we've now passed <laughs> the crown of who's the best NFC team again this week. Uh, Kyler, 370 yards and two touchdowns leads another Arizona massive explosion on offense. Edmonds at 139 yards here against... You know, the team that really, to be honest, looked quite different from the team that beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers last week. Stafford, 282 touchdowns and an interception. They struggled to keep up because obviously Stafford had the interception. Sonny Michelle, the uh, the running back pickup from the trade of New England, also had a fumble that allowed Arizona to just keep ext- extending their lead very early as their defense kept the pressure on getting three sacks and a couple of long, very, very long third downs were undone by Kyler doing Kyler things and somehow getting out of the way there was one particular that I quite liked one particularly fun run play off the left hand side where like it was definitely just because he was so short that no one had a fucking clue where he was whenever he went running but yeah no it's very very exciting I, I'm, I'm with you in one respect Ronan that like I don't really think that this is as designed as maybe I don't, I don't think Cliff Kingsbury is drawing up these plays to look this way. Because if he is, he's got a very interesting mind that maybe needs to be studied by scientists. Because I don't think this is how <laughs> most of these plays are meant to go. But when you've got that kind of skill set there, you may as well make use of it. And you've got the kind of wide receivers to be able to, to do it. I'm amazed. It's just like I kind of I forgot because of the last two years how good AJ Greenman actually was back in the day and how good he apparently still can be but Sean like what was your takeaways from this yeah like it was it was it was exciting from Arizona I'm not sure if it's 17 game 20 games sustainable particularly with presumably the damage Kyler will end up taking at some point being that size and playing this kind of football yeah I mean that is the question is this does this chaos is this chaos something that could be sustained for an entire season the offense is I mean it's they're averaging like 35 points a game right now and Connor's playing at an insane level and it's all working, but it is, it all seems to be improvised. It all seems to be either because what Kyler can do on, on his feet or quick thinking manages to pull things off, or if it's just some sort of really like, you know, level 35 scheming going on, but it's good for now. And they certainly look like they're competitive and they certainly put the hurt on, on what is a quite, still quite considered to be quite a good football team. It's interesting though, because I don't know if you can actually figure it out because if it's not planned, if it is just all about improvisational talent, then it's a very difficult thing to stop because there is no real pattern to it. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens that side. What's really interesting for the Cardinals is how good their defense has turned out to be. Kind of the first quarter of this game looked like it was going to be a shootout that would end something like maybe 37-35, but then the defense started to shut down the Rams, first through kind of aggressive turnovers early on, a good interception off Stafford, and then a fumble. But then later on, it was more containment. They had a good goal line stand late that kind of killed off the game. 
entirely. So that the Cardinals on the defensive side are here to play, and that's where things are going to get very interesting. Because if they can keep that up, then they don't need to score 35 points a game. They maybe only need to score 25-30, and certainly the Cardinals should be able to keep that up. On the Rams side, I mean, this is worrying because... This is a team that expects to be in the Super Bowl, and this is their kind of maybe their one of their first big games of the season, and this is the first time we've seen Stafford not be up to it. I mean, I think what has to be taught. I mean, Stafford, I think his completion rate was barely above fifty percent. He had a lot of very bad throws, and particularly in big spots. It wasn't there was one interception where he was basically baited into it by the the defense. There was one near the goal line where he just made a very bad read. These are the kind of things you don't want from a, a quarterback that you know is good but has played in a bad team. Is that maybe he's not able to step up to the big plate. Maybe he's not able to to work. Where it, where it happened. I mean, the defense were very good at keeping Cooper Cup quiet, which is worrying sign again. If, if someone has figured this team all out already in, in week four, then suddenly the, the wheels will come off this hype train um, very early. Defensively as well, this is supposed to be the best, best defense in the league, and yet they're, they're not holding teams down that much. I do wonder if the Jalen Ramsey versatility experiment is actually hurting them by making him play all over the place and getting him into every down. You're not actually using him where he's most valuable, which would be in a corner, say, against Hopkins in this game would have been very useful if he just kind of shut down Hopkins and made Kyler do other things. It might have made it more difficult for the for the Cardinals to get all, this, all the points that they, they mm. ended up getting. So for the Rams, I think it's a little bit back to the drawing board. It's like, okay, now we've realized that we have limits. We realize we can't just steamroll our teams and expect to be okay. And I think we have seen... seen hints of it. It hasn't always been as perfect as, as it should have been for the Rams, and now we've seen that those deficiencies are real. And now the question is, is McVeigh the, the coaching wizard we all expected him expected to be? Does he have a way to respond to these, and does he have a way to make Stafford not have terrible games? Um, and if so, they're still competitive, because they've still got a lot of talent, but this is worrying that they could be beaten, and beaten this badly um, by a divisional rival is, is not a good sign for their future prospects. Next up, we have uh, Vegas at Chargers at AFC West. Big holdup, 14-28. to 28. LA Chargers take it. Eckler, 135 yards and two touchdowns. Really kind of backbone of them winning. Herbert has a pretty decent game. 222 yards, three touchdowns. And he kind of tears up the defense of Vegas. Vegas let themselves fall deep into a hole in the first half. But were able to kind of dig their way out of it a little bit. They kept using Jacob a lot in the first half. I'm not sure if it's the injury or just that you know they weren't really set up for it. Or that the game script didn't really work that well whenever you're down that much. But... They had to they had to move away from that and let Carr start doing stuff. He got two hundred yards and two touchdowns. Like they drew it they drew it close. There was a lot of mistakes, a lot of flags, a lot of people not really doing their job correctly. It's a good win for the Chargers. Indivision win moves them up further. They're pretty happy at the moment. The Raiders are gonna feel like particularly how they played in the second half, that this is a game that shouldn't have been this far away from them, but at no point did it ever really feel like they were hugely in it. A disappointment for the for the Raiders. No one, not like none of the things that have been going so well for them so far really clicked properly in this. Their defense didn't look all that strong. They weren't being able to get it going through the air as much as they had hoped to. And the Chargers looked relatively comfortable uh, and weren't really pushed all that hard here. Yeah, it was just was like a fun dumb game. Now the dumbest thing were some of these flags, like the taunting flag that Darren Waller got for basically spiking the ball and then two players behind them. That That's taunting now, apparently. It was a bullshit call and the NFL definitely needs to, you know, lighten up on the whole taunting bullshit. Like, like I, I re- like 
you know, there's a difference between like, oh, he throws it slightly in the direction of you and like, you know, making hand signals or yapping at someone or standing over someone or teabagging or whatever it is. But the NFL needs to sort it out and the refs, I don't know, like the whole no tolerance thing is bullshit. Like in terms of the actual game itself, like, look, this was an interesting game for the Chargers because, like, you know, Eckler has been slowly building up over the season and he finally had the game where he kind of fully took over this offense it felt like you just saw him make some really powerful runs for a small guy he's just really surprisingly violent um when he makes <laughs> contact with you and you can see the guy the defenders like bounce off him um and he gets a couple of extra yards from that uh, but he also got the touchdown on the wheel right so you see obviously we all know that he's a uh, one of the best receiving backs in the league and he's just such a diverse weapon and the, i think he was out for like a quarter in this game and the chart that was the, the the quarter where the chargers kind of got under pressure herbert got sacked a few times and and the Raiders were able to get back into this game. But like, look, Justin Herbert, once again, he just ha- every every game, there's like three or four throws that are just out of this world that basically maybe only one or two quarterbacks in the entire league could even possibly hope to replicate. And he wasn't really reliant on doing much because they had the early lead. They could lean on Eckler. And, you know, I'm, uh, you know I've said a few weeks ago, I expect him to have one of these huge world destroyer games wasn't this game but he's been really efficient he's cutting out the mistakes that he had in some of the earlier weeks and i think you know as a chargers fan you continue to be incredibly excited about what this guy can do at the head of this team as for the raiders this was self-harm like this was a situation not just some of the dumb penalties but just in terms of like you know you you bring josh jacobs back he's coming off an injury and you're like okay let's treat him as if he was like derrick henry and it didn't work. It was obvious it wasn't working, like, by the end of the first quarter. And yet they kept doing it for another quarter. By the end of the, and like, by the end of the half, they had 53 yards and they were a 21 to hole, zero hole. And you're kind of going, hey, uh, John Gruden, you do realize that you've had, like, one of the best passing offenses over the first quarter of the season. Uh, you know, you can use that. And then it's like, oh yeah, maybe, maybe we should do that. So in, in the second half, Finally, they get Derek Carr involved. Finally, he's able to spread the ball out, find his favorite receivers, Ruggs, Waller, Renfro, all getting involved, all getting, you know, like, obviously they don't have great game totals because obviously they did nothing in the first half, but overall... They got penalized to shit. (laughs) Yeah, they got penalized to shit as well. Uh, So there was, like, a lot of, like, mistakes there, but, you know, there was no good reason, based on what you've seen up to this point in the season, to have chosen to make this tactical decision to run the ball through Jacobs when you know you can pass the ball. It's also, it's not like the Chargers are known for having a, like, notoriously weak run defense or anything, like, you know? Yeah, and they, like, their secondary isn't the best, like, the... Like, like Derwin James is obviously a baller there at safety, but mm. in terms of their defensive backs, like they're not like, you know, yeah, like, yeah. like world beaters there. So like I, there's I just it, it was inexplicable me how this game went for the Raiders. There was no good reason why they ended up like this. And basically, you know, they, they ended up creating a situation that they couldn't get themselves out of. And despite the fact the Chargers, because like I know it's, it's the Chargers, nearly managed to let them back into this game. So I think for the Raiders... You know, the main thing that you hope is that John Gruden learns his goddamn lesson and realizes that this is now Derek Carr's team. It's a pass first team. Like, like we saw, like, you know, Peyton Barber was really good last week as the complement to the passing game, but not the other way around. Use what works and stop fucking around, John. You had a good thing. You're, you're a joint top across the division. But for the Chargers, like, look, they, they obviously have the star power, the guys that get you really excited. And obviously now, uh, I think because of the, the tiebreaker, they're top. You know, the Chiefs are obviously still around. The, the Raiders aren't a bad team. They just need to make smarter decisions. Um, but it's a very exciting AFC West race that we're looking forward to for the rest of the season. Yeah, and that brings us down to the dump-off where we're going to have you fly through a few of the other games from this week. 
First up, Carolina Dallas, 28-36. The scoreline probably flatters Carolina a bit, to be honest, because the Dallas rush offense had over 250 yards, 7.2 per carry, 150 that, basically Zeke and Pollard added around 70, and they just basically blew a hole right through the snow patrol and um, this vaunted Carolina defense. Prescott just chipped in the, the, the you know, the dry finishing touchdowns mostly. Like Darnold, he was solid in the early going, two rush touchdowns early, two passing touchdowns late. There was just an intermediate period in the third quarter where he threw two picks and it just let the game get away from them. And it was just a situation like those picks were very Jets era Darnold. So it's not that he fully devolved and is bad again, but just that he, he has, you know, just isn't consistently where he needs to be in terms of like, you know, getting the ball. And when they were in that hole and just kind of bringing them back, didn't look like he was really capable of doing that. And the Dallas defense, then they continue to improve every week. And Trevon Diggs had another two interceptions. He's really made that step up this year. Carolina had CMC, maybe this is a bit closer, but uh, they really felt his loss here. And Dallas's rush offense is looking really scary right now. Kansas City at Philly, 42 to 30. Look, Tyreek Hill, you know, you got to cover him. He had 186 yards, three touchdowns. But I think if you're a Chiefs fan, the nice thing is that CEH, uh, Edwards Alaire, had over 100 yards and a touchdown, no fumbles. And their offense basically just kept blowing through the Philly defense at will. They had one interception from Mahomes, but other than that, zero points. Just kept going and going and going and going. And to be fair to Jalen Hurts and Philly, like their offense wasn't bad. Like Hurts had over 400 yards and two touchdowns. And Devonta Smith had a nice breakout. But their defensive effort just wasn't there. They just, you know, they weren't doing the things that teams who beat the Chiefs do. Stopping Kelsey, stopping Hill. And they just got blown out because their red zone efficiency, three out of six, isn't bad. But compared to what Kansas City were doing, just not enough. New York Giants at New Orleans, 27 to 21 in overtime. QB issues definitely are costly for New Orleans right now because they had a 21 to 10 lead. You know, they were back in the Superdome after the hurricane and they couldn't finish it out. Jameis was fine, but he's just completely inconsistent. Just when you need someone who can, like Drew Brees, you know, make those five, 10 yard throws, he just doesn't seem to have that right now. And you can't literally just get Kamara to do it all for you, even though he had 26 carries for 120 yards and importantly no catches that's just not really what we expect at the new orleans offense very worrying there to be honest look danny dimes had another a pretty explosive game over 400 yards he did have an interception but he had two touchdowns and saquon looked to be back particularly in the passing game 126 yards two touchdowns and obviously got the game winner in overtime galladay flashed a bit of his upside albeit he had some knocks and stuff as well i think for the giants they're still not a good team but I'm seeing some sparks of hope there. Uh, maybe they can get further up into the <laughs> our reviews uh, in the upcoming weeks. Washington, Atlanta, 34 to 30. Uh, Heineke overcame some continuous deficits uh, in what was just a really dumb game. 333 yards, three touchdowns from Heineke, including the, the game winner to JD McKissick, uh, where basically he was running all the way to the left. Everyone was covered. And then JD McKissick had been left empty and he just threw across his body. And it's kind of one of those ones that you kind of expect like a glitch in Madden, that kind of situation on the field. But uh, hey, fair play, it worked for him. The defense for Washington still doesn't exist. They had a single sack and they allowed Ryan to have a bunch of yards, a bunch of touchdowns. And he was doing the best that he has, um, which apparently is Cordell Patterson, um, who is the best player on their team. With over 100 yards, three touchdowns in both the rush game and the pass game. But you're kind of going, where's the deep attack? Where's Calvin Ridley? Where's Kyle Pitts? Like, this Patterson story is nice, but like even the deep troll to Patterson, the, the long touchdown, the ball just seemed to stop in the air, and uh, he had to kind of wait for the ball to come down. I don't know, Ryan might just be shot in terms of being an explosive playmaker at this point. Pittsburgh at Green Bay, 17-27. to Green Bay kind of ran an old-school kind of zone read run offense, where both AJ Dillon and Aaron Jones had nearly 100 yards in a nice balanced attack, where Aaron Rodgers kind of 
being efficient, not being needed to kind of be at its best in this game. And it was like challenging conditions in Lambo, there was fog and there was some precipitation. But look, the big story here again is that Pittsburgh's offense does not exist. Big Ben is shot. Um, he had one nice throw early in this game. You're like, oh, wait, maybe, maybe they've schemed something. Maybe they've changed. Maybe he's been working out. And then they literally basically do nothing for the rest of the game. Like Najee Harris, their first round pick running back, looks nice. But he's getting zero help. Their offensive line sucks. And the, basically the defenses can just zoom in on cutting out the short passes and cutting out the run game. And they're basically safe. Um, so for Pittsburgh, you know, they're well in the cellar of their division. This looks like a kind of lost season, let's be honest, under the Big Ben, at uh, the end of the Big Ben era. Detroit at Chicago, 14 to 24. Like the Chicago rush attack and their defense both do most of the work here. Um, like 168 yards from uh, the rush attack. Uh, four sacks, two interceptions, uh, two fourth down failed conversions to Detroit. Basically kind of carry Justin Fields, who looked a little bit better, but not amazing. And I'm still worrying, like they, they did more stuff with him in terms of using his athleticism, but it still has way too much Andy Daltonism about it for my liking. And the Nagy era just feels like a complete mess right now. They just happen to come against a bigger mess in Detroit who, you know, basically got zero points from their, they had three first half red zone trips. Can't really get away with that. You know, Goff had those costly mistakes again, particularly those two fumbles. And look, their D is terrible and they just lost their best defender. So it's not going to get better. Like Detroit fight every week, so maybe they can get a win or two. Seahawks at San Francisco, 28 to 21. Seahawks basically did nothing for the first five drives, minus seven yards. Thankfully, San Francisco, due to injuries, due to inefficiency, due to their own fuck-ups, they basically didn't take any advantage of it. And basically, in the second half, Russ finally heated up and ended up with 150 yards and two touchdowns. And they took advantage of like a couple of special teams gaffes by San Francisco for short fields. Jimmy G was questionable again when he was pulled at halftime due to injury and as i we mentioned in the uh, injury section look trey lance he obviously puts pressures on defenses due to his athleticism and due to his ability to make plays outside the pocket but his basic accuracy his basic mechanics still look very very raw but if he does play next week i will be really interested to see what uh, Shanahan can put together for him but this week he obviously just looked like someone thrown into a game plan that's not suited for him and the Seahawks were able to get a relatively easy win to here in the end uh, they just made their life more difficult by leaving Debo Samuel out in the middle of nowhere to get a free touchdown Indy at Miami 27 to 17 look John and Taylor did some tough running here over 100 yards in the touchdown which was very important because Wentz Definitely looks better than he did last week, but is still obviously hurting. I think he had one rush basically where it looked like he was kind of going ow, ow, ow every single time he made a step. But he had 228 yards, two touchdowns, so he looked okay as a passer. But on the other side, Brissett would have loved to have some rushing help, but he did not. And so he ended up with two touchdowns, less than 200 yards, and a fumble. And basically for long periods, they basically did zero. They got like one field goal drive in the first half. They got two touchdowns at the end of this game. Other than that, the offense basically did not exist. And with their defense not getting their whole clutch of turnovers that they, they sometimes get, there basically was very little for Miami to hang their hat on. Indianapolis, you know, showed small signs of hope, but Miami right now just looked like a, a really, really lost team, let's be honest. Baltimore Choo -choo, at London. <laughs> Baltimore at Denver, 23-7. to Game where Lamar showed off the arm because Denver still had to stop the run with eight-man boxes. And Marquise Brown made up for last week. His touchdown was a really nice diving catch. And he got a couple of deep balls there. And they got a few other guys involved as well, like Andrews. In terms of the Denver side, Teddy B was pressured off the field. Obviously got that concussion and taken off. And Drew Locke was booed, perhaps because they didn't know that Teddy B was concussed. 
perhaps because he's bad at football, which he was in this game. Um, and they, like, th and that's despite the fact that the run offense was actually fine. Like, to be honest, the most interesting thing about this game was the ending because both teams were basically really bad winners slash losers because mm. Denver used up all their timeouts on their final drive to try and get Drew Locke a score. He threw an interception in the end in the red zone. Uh, make of that what you will. And Harbaugh made some comments after. I wasn't aware there was a 16-point score in, in the NFL uh, about why they were extending the game. Uh, but Baltimore got their revenge because they basically, uh, uh, when they should have kneeled the ball because there was only like 10 seconds left, they ran a rush play to get over 100 yards so they considered their record uh, equaling 100 yard game rush game streak. Yeah, Buffalo are at the end of the dump off again. 0-40, to 40, they absolutely hockey Houston in the rain as their defense had four interceptions, a fumble, three sacks. They allowed less than 150 yards. And look, Allen, like, like there are questions about like, is Allen where he was last year in terms of dominating games? But he was good and the conditions were very challenging. And Davis Mill on the other side, the rookie uh, guy brought in for Tyler Taylor, pretty much a nightmare scenario in all aspects as he was pummeled into a very finely made paste. Bigger test for Buffalo ahead, I feel. Um, so that's the uh, dump off for this week. Excellent, yeah. We'll have a look at the teams for next week. Okay, so first up, we have Thursday night football. Uh, the Rams coming off that uh, bad loss, going up to the Seattle Seahawks, who were able to gut it out and survive last week. We've gone for Rams across the board in this one, and I'm actually I'm kind of questioning that now that I think about Seattle at home on a short week. Maybe maybe it's their chance to shine, but this Rams team. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess it's just they couldn't deal with the chaos last week because they did look better in the previous weeks to it and they're going to need to be winning this game if they want to stay competitive. Same is true of Seattle, but just, you know, it, it's a tough one because on paper the Rams definitely have a better team, but Seattle seem to be getting the rub a little bit lately. I would say like Seattle, like they obviously beat San Francisco this week, but that was obviously with QB injuries and they're doing a bunch of injuries overall and just some questionable decision making. They had a lot of things in their favour and they still only really managed to win by seven points now. It was more comfortable than that, but overall I didn't see the kind of improvement you were hoping from Seattle that they had turned the corner after, you know, two really disappointing losses against Tennessee and Minnesota. So, you know, Seattle for me right now are a very flawed team. Their offense isn't really where they wanted to be. Like, DK Metcalf hasn't really looked like himself. Tyler Lockett's dealing with a small injury and he definitely didn't look the same last week. And they're relying on, like, Alex Collins to kind of be their uh, offensive engine. And look, the Rams, obviously a bad beat against Arizona, but I think you still thought they could score a lot of points. It's mm -hmm. just a couple of key mistakes and the fact that Arizona were able to, like, really keep control of the clock in the second half kind of did it in for them. Um, and those call, like two or three mistakes were really costly. Whereas I think they will have more wiggle room against the Seattle team. It just really is very flawed right now. Like, look, it, as you say, it's Seattle, it's prime time, and it's at home. I always give them a shot. But right now, I would still take the Rams on form in terms of their talent and in terms of what they're able to do. Um, Seattle, I'm just really... You know, if Seattle win this game, maybe I'll just be made to look like an idiot. Yeah, my sense of the NFC West is that the Cardinals and the Rams are... Clearly the two best teams and the Seahawks and 49ers are not quite there yet. Um, I think there is a talent differential that will work out. And I think the Rams will, they'll be they'll be hurting and they'll try and bounce back and, and they'll try and take it out on the Seahawks, I think. I think, yeah, there's, I think there's just, the Rams are a good team. They just got beaten by a, a team that, a better team, or at least a team on much hotter form. So I wouldn't necessarily, it's a bad defeat they had, but I wouldn't necessarily say that's the end of them. 
even though it, it, it raises questions, but I don't think Seahawks are going to raise those questions. Choo-choo, first of our super red-hot London games, the Jets at the Atlanta Falcons. All our American uh, listeners are like, oh, I've got to get up early to watch this uh, superstorm of a game. Uh, like, look, like uh, me and Sean have gone for Atlanta, you've gone for the Jets. Like, who knows, both these teams week to week are capable of doing absolutely terrible things to themselves and occasionally terrible things to the other team. It's very, very unknown about where they could be. I think Atlanta have shown more. They, they certainly seem to put up more yards, more points consistently, whereas the Jets basically had to come against the Tennessee team and took them a, a half to get to that point anyway. But maybe if you consider the second half of the Jets to be the turning point of their season, maybe they can put up a spirited thing. And certainly their defense has enough, a handful of talented players that they could make Matt Ryan's difficult life difficult. Yeah. And really the uh, most, the biggest weakness of them is their secondary. And as we mentioned in the reviews, I'm not sure if Ryan has the arm to take advantage of that as much anymore. Next up, Philly at Carolina. We've gone for Carolina across the board. The Carolina one is interesting. I think they're they're good. They're not great at the moment. They had a soft run to get their first three wins. Chuba Hubbard's no Christian McCaffrey, so uh, like he still he still did an okay job for them, and they were getting a lot out of um, Darnold on the ground. Philadelphia, Jalen Hurts put up some numbers, and they did some decent things against the Chiefs. But the Chiefs' defense is absolutely fucking terrible. So that's not really a meter stick to go by. Whereas the Carolina one looked to be performing better, although they kind of fell apart last week against Dallas. Unfortunately, Philly are no Dallas in my head. So I don't see them doing much, although they did start to get a few more things going last week. Carolina against Dallas last week, I said, was going to be an interesting game just purely because it told you a lot about them. You can see the Carolina aren't there yet. They're not quite at that level, but I think they are a level above Philly. This is another one good game where we find out where teams are this has the feel of being down near the bottom of the wild card that these are might be maybe mm. six or seven seeds carolina's defense obviously highly vaunted until last week when they got pulverized by the cowboys but still i think it's a well-coached team i think they've got good pieces i think darnold is is better than how he played i think he he is capable of being not jets darnold I think he's better than that. So so I, I still still up on Carolina, which is why I, I kind of picked for them. We've gone for them, Carolina, across the board. Philly, I, I, I don't feel we really know where they are yet. They've had a tough schedule. I mean, mm. they've had to play the, the 49ers and then the 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 Cowboys and then the Chiefs. And so they haven't really, we haven't really seen what they're good like against a team of this kind of caliber. So this is the test. If, if the Eagles can win this, then they are competitive and probably will run the Cowboys close. But if they get beaten here, then they're one and four. And they're, even though they're a talented team, their season is already looking like it's in the toilet a little bit. So both of these teams, Carolina trying to prove that they are kind of upper echelon NFC contenders and the Philly, the Eagles just trying to prove that they are contenders in in any sense even if it's just to kind of keep pace in in the NFC East yeah and I think both teams the big emphasis should be on consistency I think for Carolina obviously without CMC you know they had more mistakes certainly when they were behind they struggled a lot and for Philly it's just been an issue in Jalen Hurts it's just like you know there's lots there's lots of really nice plays things to get you excited but too many drives don't go anywhere they're three and out just Hurts just needs to keep working on making those uh, throws, getting Devonta Smith involved more, getting the tight ends involved more, and keep them chugging along and racking up points. Miami head up the coast to Tampa Bay. Oh, the poor fuckers. Uh, we've gone for Tampa Bay across the board. Sean, anything on this one? Yeah, Tom Brady continues his tour of the AFC East. He always used to win against the Dolphins at home and lose against them on the road, so that's why I, I kind of think that they're pretty much a lock in this game. I mean, the Dolphins are... They're just terrible without Tua. I mean, they're not much better with Tua, but without Tua, Brissett is not 
an NFL caliber quarterback. He's just, no. you can see that he's just not good enough. The offense just built around him just does not function. And so Tampa Bay got the best rush defense in the league. They're... Passing defense, uh, their secondary isn't great because of the injuries, but I don't think the Dolphins are going to challenge it. And then they've got an offense that will put up points when they're not being uh, out-schemed by a defensive mastermind. So, I mean, that said, Brian Flores does historically have some kind of history of success against Brady. I mean, he there is a there is a tendency in, in Pat's coaches or expats coaches to, to cause troubles for Tom. So it might not be a walk in the park, but I still think that, that they're just the... The Dolphins just not going to score enough points regardless of, of how poorly Tampa Bay play. Now, Tennessee at Jacksonville up next. We've got for Tennessee across the board. Presumably Tennessee sitting here hoping to have both the wide receivers back. But even if he's got one back, or even if they got none back, it's Jacksonville. And Jacksonville not playing very well. They did look yeah. better at the back end of last week. They are at home. And this is a Tennessee team that stumbled against the Jets. It, it should be an easy win, right? It should be. But it should be, but like they, they did, they did lose to the Jets. So, but you also uh, got to imagine that they're going to have some, at least some of those pieces back, and they're going to be pissed off. And this Jacksonville defense versus Henry will be kind of funny to see, to be honest. Yeah, like Jacksonville, they'll they'll need to have the uh, the tough front up and and stop the touchdowns for Tannehill in particular, who is really having a poor season. In reality, it should be a a blowout, but just given what happened last week, given how poor Tennessee have been, even with AJ Brown and Julio Jones at times, that they've like they had one really good hands at Seahawks. Otherwise, um, they haven't exactly, uh, and they were okay against Indianapolis. They they have been very up and down, and so Jacksonville, who showed a spark of life, albeit obviously overshadowed by the idiocy of Myers, um, might consider to have some chance in this game. But yeah, Tennessee are favourites for a reason. But if they do lose this game, then that AFC South turns into an absolute shit show. I have no idea what they're what they're where it's going to end up in that case. Yeah, if if the Titans lose this game, then the AFC South is officially this year's NFC East. It's poor division, and the Titans are the only thing keeping it out of the dumpster. And I would hope. I mean, seriously, the, the Jags are not going to win many games under Urban Meyer, and, and I can't imagine they're going to beat an actual good team. And Tennessee are an actual good team, even if they don't show it every week. So I, I think they should have enough. New Orleans at Washington. Uh, me and Fitz have gone for New Orleans, and Sean's gone for Washington. This is... Fuck knows if you're going to get out of this game. New Orleans, <laughs> like... To be honest, we... We see... Genuine, the predictions are pointless. Series to series, you don't even know what you're getting with New Orleans. Washington... Yeah. Look, they haven't really got much of a solution. The vaunted defense that was meant to be the you know their calling card has been shite. The offense is missing about twelve pieces now at this point. This is a terrible game. Just don't bother watching it. You, what, what it'll be worth is watch the like four minute long highlight reel, not the ten minute long one, the four minute long highlight reel afterwards. You'll get a couple of fun bits, but I would just avoid this like the plague. Green Bay at Cincinnati. Yeah, so I decided I, I I said it last week on the pod, so I'm gonna stick with it. Three in a row, Cincinnati are gonna beat Green Bay. You boys have gone for Green Bay. Yeah, and this is my pick of the week for good reason. I think these are two of the most uh, interesting teams, at least certainly Green Bay side after Week One's uh, debacle. And Cincinnati are you know a uh, fun and like to a certain extent when I think of Joe Burrow and compare him to like what older quarterbacks like he does kind of remind me of Aaron Rodgers in that sense of. Uh, some like, incredibly talented, likes just trying shit, a little bit of an, an attitude on him, and just kind of like, uh, just kind of fun. Just like a really interesting character to have in the NFL. You know, for Cincinnati, you know, Joe Mixon may or may not play in this game. As That's I kind of said, like, impact, in, I think. like in the early weeks, they definitely tried to, f- tried to feed Mixon, 
kind of like played a relatively conservative game as as, mix, as, as Burrow got back onto health. But I'm definitely sensing week on week, uh, as I said in the reviews, that Burrow is slowly building back up to what he was last year, which is a guy who was willing to stay in the pocket, take the hits, throw the deep ball, make big plays. And they've like even with the you know with the limitations they had this year, we've seen Jamar Chase have those big throws. We we've seen Tyler Boyd get involved uh, last week, and uh, yeah, I'm just I think the Cincinnati offense. You know, I think Connor, you've been hyping it up for for a couple of years. Like we could see a really good offensive output against a Gary Bay defense, which hasn't really been great. And which year Alexander, if he misses time, which which he's likely to do, um, that's definitely a huge hit to their secondary. But mm. on the other hand, like why would you pick Green Bay? Well, they're Green Bay. They win games. They got Aaron Jones. They've got Aaron Rodgers. They they got they got all Devonte Adams. They got all the players that they need to be an explosive offense. Put up a shit ton of points. And I think that's probably for me the most intriguing matchup is the Cincinnati defense, which has you know probably wasn't its best output against Jacksonville. They they kind of got bullied off the field a little bit uh, by Jacksonville in the first half. But they have been really solid this year. They've definitely shown improvement. They actually have some pass rush. Like their pass rushers, like Trey Hendrickson, they're not guys who win off the snap, but they're guys who keep working, keep pushing, and they get coverage sacks and they kind of keep working. And it's a really kind of, uh, you know, a really a hard effort defense um, that's probably outworking its, uh, you know, draft pedigree um, or the sum of its parts. So for Green Bay, it'll be interesting to see if they're kind of offensive success that they've definitely seen ramp up over the last few weeks can be continued both these teams have definitely had moments where they look bad but overall they've both looked like really exciting teams like realistically i know my head says that green bay are going to win this game but just it's, it's a little bit like particularly if, if mixing is healthy and able to play they could surprise them a little bit or at least keep it exciting Detroit of minnesota actually ronan you're covering this one as well we've gone for minnesota which is because they beat losing teams in Detroit's a loser team. Yeah, yeah like De- Detroit are were bad at the start of the season. They have lost many players since then. Minnesota, you know, obviously a very bad game against the Cleveland Browns uh, against basically their twin team because they run such similar schemes. But against Detroit, I don't see why they would have any effort getting either Alexander Madison, if Cook is injured, or Cook himself going. And I, I imagine Cousins will have a bounce back game against the secondary. It's probably the worst in the league. So yeah, it should be an easy win for Minnesota at home. Okay, next up is Denver at Pittsburgh. We've gone for Denver, myself and Fitz and Sean's gone for Pittsburgh. I guess he got burnt after he pipped Denver last week. I'm torn on this one purely because these are both terrible teams. Well, that's that, not entirely that's true. Pittsburgh strong. is a terrible team. Denver are a terrible team with Drew Locke under centre, which is what it looks like it's going to be. But Denver have a good defence, which should be able to match up well against this Pittsburgh team that doesn't really have an offence at the moment. Denver have a running game. It's not that these teams are bad. It's just that they're very difficult to watch. <laughs> like, like they, they play... Like, Pittsburgh have a good defence. Like, they got TJ Watt back and... Like the defense wasn't the problem in their loss this week. Like Green Bay just really ran down their throats and kind of controlled the clock. But Rodgers was kind of, you know, wasn't, you know, blowing them away or anything. Denver, obviously, we know of the good defense, but like against Baltimore, they had a specific plan, which was to lock down the run game and it basically just completely opened up their back end. And like it's just a you know big tactical mistake on their side, but I'm not willing to dismiss that they're a terrible team. But obviously, if they do have Drew Lock in, then they're basically have the same problem as Pittsburgh, which is neither yeah. of these quarterbacks you can trust them pass the pass game to game or anything. Um, so in that sense, it then becomes probably a coin flip about which one of these quarterbacks can actually show a little bit of spark, a little bit of hope for their respective teams. But because both these teams have such solid rosters, except for the quarterback position, this will probably be a tense, tight game. The Steelers' offense is bad, but it's not Denver under Drew Locke bad. I mean, I there's still enough in this Steelers team, especially on the defensive end when they kind of step up and have good games. 
the Pittsburgh D will will look at Drew Locke coming in and they'll be licking their lips and they'll be up for it and they'll be having one of those games where they have like 20 sacks and, and multiple interceptions and everything will be grand. I, I expect it to be a low-scoring game. It, it, one of these teams is definitely not going to break 10 points. Possibly neither of them are. But I think there's enough still left in, in Ben that he's... Even at his worst, he's a better quarterback than Drew Locke at his best, I think. Really? And, and that's my just dis- Yes, that is really? that is my honest opinion on it. <laughs> oh my God. Drew Locke is terrible, Connor. He's Drew, just a Drew, terrible Drew Locke is not good, but Drew Locke can still throw it more than fifteen yards. Honest to God, I don't know how long can um, he? If, if, if 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 it wasn't if it wasn't well, for, accurately. If it was it wasn't no. for pure <laughs> blind loyalty and the fact that they fucked themselves over and how they set up the contracts. I don't know why Ben Roethlisberger hasn't been benched yet, apart from just we've seen some of the shit that's behind him on the roster. Ben had one good touchdown throw last week. He which did is enough on a for free me. play because he knew he didn't have to worry about it going errant. <laughs> like that, he had one good throw in the entire game. Like I don't, I, I think I genuinely think that Pittsburgh should just be putting anyone else in underneath behind him. Like I don't know they what they're doing still playing. Nobody. Him. All right, this game's getting way more attention than it deserves. Okay. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> don't watch it. It'll be terrible. New England at Houston. Sean, we've got for New England across the board here. Yeah, I mean, they have to win this game, surely. I mean, I do think that this game against Tampa Bay could be seen as a turning point where the Pats season finally turns around and they figure out what team they are, what they can do. There's certainly the defense is strong enough to stop whatever the Texans would throw at them. I mean, Davis Mills, whatever about whatever about Big Ben or whatever about Jacoby Brissett, Davis Mills should not be quarterbacking in the NFL. I mean, he had his stat line at one point during the last week was like one for seven for three yards and two interceptions. Like, there was a time when his number of interceptions was running the number of yards he got pretty close. Yeah. So I can't Nathan imagine Peterman Houston are like- going to score many points. So I think they should probably shut them down and then Mac Jones will give us enough. I mean, I don't expect the Pats to score more than 20 points, but they probably won't need to score more than 15 to win the game. So it should be comfortable enough. Next up, uh, late game, San Francisco and Arizona, another NFC West excitement. We're all going for Arizona in this one. Like we said, there's question marks that come back for San Francisco. They're injured at pretty much every position. They didn't even have a kicker last week. Arizona are pure chaos, but it's very exciting and it's very hard to see passing at the moment. Like they should win this game, but chaos implies that you never know what's going to happen. And look, like as I said, Trey Lance, um, his accuracy and his mechanics were all all off. But uh, if Shanahan has a whole week to kind of like, uh, assuming the group of Krabble won't play this week, to build up a Trey Lance scheme then they could also be agents of chaos because Trey Lance is a very dynamic playmaker himself like Arizona have to be the favorites obviously the only undefeated team left they've shown so much explosiveness over the first week and their defense has shown flashes of being good I'm still not convinced about the defense but they've shown flashes of being good and San Francisco dealing with all these injuries but you know I would never count out San Francisco and if they have Trey Lance certainly that adds their own chaos yeah I mean Shanahan's scheming is going to be interesting to see how he deals with the chaos but I just can't see them scoring enough points. I think Arizona are probably going to get 25, 30 points at least. And the 49ers are just not scoring that many points, even in the games that they win. Chicago, Vegas, we've gone for Vegas across the board. Yeah, look, Chicago looks a little bit better last week. Vegas didn't really know what they were doing. And I could all sense he grew just shit in the bed and deciding, oh, this is going to be a game where we're just going to have our tight end throw it the entire time. <laughs> like, he's that kind of dude. But in theory, they're better roster if they remember what they do right they're at home it's a big trip for Chicago and Chicago still have you know it's it, it's a flip of a coin which one of the two versions of the rookie we're going to see a quarterback because 
He was okay last week. He was terrible the week beforehand. But yeah, I think Vegas at home. Cleveland at the Chargers. This is Sean's pick of the week and we've gone for the Chargers across the board. Two really interesting 3-1 and teams competing at a, at a kind of a high level in the AFC. But one you could be pretty optimistic about. I mean, the Chargers look for real. Herbert is, is having a great season. He's got the pieces around them and things are clicking. And even their defense in the first half against the Raiders was looking pretty strong. So the Chargers are on the way up. Cleveland, as we said, it's a bit wobbly. You know, they, they had a great first week against the Chiefs, but since then they haven't really played that well. And Baker, it really depends who turns up. So on paper, I mean, I think these teams are pretty well matched. And if you ask us theoretically who would the more talented team, you might even say the Browns. But the way they're playing, I just I can see the Chargers getting a lead and holding on to it. I mean, the Chargers are going to charge, and I imagine that there will be at least 20 penalties where they've given away big yardage plays. But even still, I think mean, it's going to be interesting to see can the Chargers live up to being the kind of the good team hype and, and back up their, their good win last week with another one? And can the Browns finally kind of turn up properly? So it'd be an interesting test for both teams, but I think the Chargers probably on form are, are probably the better team right now. There's a hair's breadth away from taking the Browns in this one as well, just because I think the run <laughs> game matches up well. I think Baker will shake it off. He has played well. He played well last season, and I'd expect him to get back into it. And said, this is a good but not, like, incredible Chargers defense but yeah it's just they're at home they're in form they've just beaten division rivals they're they're kind of flying high it's it, it, it is hard to look past mm, the, the Chargers perfect time for them to collapse yeah it would but actually then, I suppose uh, it wouldn't though Cleveland are, are hardly without their own sins in that front so I'm hoping for a really exciting high scoring game I think both offenses are perfectly capable of that but there is a chance that you know there's a lot of mistakes a lot of you know self both these defenses while neither of them have been consistently good both have had splash plays. Both have a lot of talented guys on them. Yeah, I'm hoping for the kind of shootout, but uh, this game really could end up in any different way. Yeah, Giants taking on the Dallas Cowboys. We've gone for Dallas cross board because they're good and the Giants are bad. Huh? Dallas are in form right now. Their rush attack looks sexy. Their pass attack looks good whenever they need to use it, though they haven't really had to recently. Giants, week and week, I get a little bit more intrigued by them. I'm like, okay, they seem to be building something here. They've cut out the you know incredible amount of fumbles and turnovers. They're putting up some big plays to their, their playmakers. Saquon slowly coming back into this, kind of getting back into form. But So if the Giants actually do something here, either win the game or at least keep it close, I'll be willing to give them more credit. But for now, I think you still need to say that Dallas are the cream of the crop in the NFC East and that they could get it done at home. Next up, Sunday Night Football, Buffalo at Kansas City Chiefs. Me and Fitz have gone for the Chiefs. Sean's gone for Buffalo. This is my pick of the week. Huge game. Buffalo looking incredible at the moment after, what, 40 to nothing <laughs> last week against the Texans. Chiefs coming off two losses and then the nice win there last week. As I said, we're hoping to see a nice big win. It was a nice big win, like uh, barring a, a proper garbage time touchdown. It was a 20-point kind of uh, dividing it. Their defense looks shaky as fuck, which is the worry. Kansas City's defense isn't looking well. They're still missing one or two pieces. They're hoping they come back, but there's some death, definite changes needed there. There has been form of Spags' defenses coming together later in the seasons rather than early, but this is a Buffalo team that's able to score. Although that said, a lot of the scoring has come through the defense, which I think Kansas City is going to be quite well equipped for kind of attacking. Uh, they've got the speed. They match up well against them. They have historically done pretty well against this Buffalo side. There is also the fun side note as well that there is a lot of discussion around Chiefs buildings at the moment that we may see the debut of Josh Gordon in this game. He's apparently landed into Arrowhead in incredible shape and ready to play. Good fun. But that said, 
This is a Buffalo team that outside of week one hiccups have looked great. Their defense has looked dominant. And on balance between the two sides of the ball, they're definitely the much more rounded of the two teams. But it is that thing that I think the Kansas City offense, if they can get going on this, uh, are a tough beast to catch up with. Particularly, as you said, they just come off a no-punt game. With- for me, the big question, like Buffalo's defense has been fearsome for the first four weeks. Now, they haven't played the best offenses, but they have been really improved, it feels like, over the last year. The offense feels like it's taking a slight step back, but like the Chiefs have kind of owned Buffalo um, over the last year. They've definitely been like the final frontier for Buffalo being you know the, the best team in the AFC. And so for me, like if the Buffalo defense can legitimately start shutting down the Kansas City, except for... Josh Gordon, of course, no one shuts him down. But, like, if they can genuinely make Patrick Mahomes' life difficult, keep this into a short, tense game, and Josh Allen can cut out the kind of couple of mistakes he seems to have had this season when they weren't there last year, then I give Buffalo, like, a reasonable chance of this. But I think Kansas City in Arrowhead with the fans, and just given that they seem to have, like, schematically, the defense flag seems to have been able to get under Josh Allen's skin in previous years. I'm going to give him a slight edge right now. But given, yeah, how bad the KC defense has been, given how good the Buffalo defense is, this game, you know, I wouldn't blame anyone for, for calling Buffalo at the moment. Yeah, I mean, two big factors I'm thinking about in, in terms of my interest in this game and my pick is firstly the psychological question. I mean, Buffalo do have a bit of an inferiority complex when it comes to the Chiefs. They, they play quite badly in the AFC Championship game against them relative to how they've been playing previous to that. And so the question is, can they come to Arrowhead with a Chiefs team that is a bit vulnerable, that hasn't had the best start to the season, that looks like it's not quite at the level it used to be, and can they get that big win? That is the kind of the big question about the Bills, is can they step up in the really big games and take the, the wins that they need to? So that's the kind, of the, the, the kind of overarching question. The kind of the game question is this, Buffalo defense, how good is it? Can it hold the Chiefs offense down enough that to allow their own, the, their own offense to, to pulverize the, the Chiefs defense. And for me, that's that's the question. When I compare offenses to defenses, I find myself saying the Bills defense will probably be able to, to knock a few points off the Chiefs. I imagine they probably won't stop them from scoring 30, but they will stop them from scoring on every on every drive. Whereas I the Chiefs defense at the moment is so bad that that this Bills offense, even though it's not quite at the level it was looking at the back end of last season, they're going to score a lot of points and, and they're going to to get up there. So it's going to be an interesting one in the sense that it's going to be a shootout, but it's going to be a shootout where the question is not can the Bills offense keep pace with, with the Chiefs offense, but where the Chiefs offense can, can overcome this Bills defense enough to overcome the deficiencies in their own defense against the, the Bills offense. So I think that's where the edge is. I think there's just enough, too much of a difference in terms of when you compare offenses to defenses that I think the Bills will put up enough points to score here. But at the same time, they could have a complete meltdown and lose by 25 points because that is also a thing that this Bills team is capable of doing. <laughs> Got a feeling Kansas City offense is going to be tipping very nicely in this one and uh, kind of excited to see it. And finally, our last game of the week, uh, Indianapolis at Baltimore. Yeah, Baltimore across the board. Baltimore playing pretty well. Indianapolis, like we said, they've, they've been probably more sprightly than we expected. I don't know. I haven't watched them because they're boring as shit, so I don't. They've got Jonathan Taylor, who's good, but outside of that, not a huge amount else going for them. Baltimore at home. Baltimore need to hold serve. They're in a three-way tie for the top of their division. Well, I suppose that'll wrap us up for this week, lads. So uh, any other crack with yourselves for the for the next few days? Not really. Kind of quiet now. It's um, international week in the soccer, so we get to watch Ireland struggle against... Azerbaijan. They haven't been able to beat anybody yet, so I fully expect them to 
possibly lose to Azerbaijan, which would be a real down a low point for Irish football. But it's all about the process. It's all about believing in Stephen Kenny, and, and the, it's you know things will be better in two or four years' time. That's that's what it's all about. Anyway. Oh, yourself, it's nothing too exciting. There's a work due on uh, Friday, but other than that, probably uh, take a more relaxed weekend after the Galway weekend, and then obviously the weekend after that. Oh, a- a- AFQ goes to London. Yeah, we good fun. Yeah, I've got, uh, it's all good plan. I'll have uh, house keys on Friday. Very exciting. Start doing nice. work there. And then um, Saturday evening, I've got uh, the return of OTT Wrestling to Dublin. So Ooh. we'll be going down to, to that with um, a couple of lads, you know, Gary and Aidan. So that'll be, uh, that'll be good fun. Realistically, at that point, it's mostly just working on house, clearing stuff, DIYing. You know, get my skip on Saturday and just start trashing shit into it. Uh, I'm going to take down a wall myself and hopefully not collapse the house, so we'll see. But I suppose that'll wrap us up for this week. So I suppose bye for myself, bye from Roman. Bye.